Previously on Quarantine Quest, six rich kids travel from all corners of Corvair and Aranol to Sharn, the city of towers. Torbjorn Barrelman, son of a powerful family in the dwarven holds of Muror, is sent to establish connections with House Caneth, the House of Making. Also looking to House Caneth and their legendary artificers is a young Nico McElbracken, a gnome with a talent for tinkering raised by the captain of the Breland Cavalry. Lord Nero Thaddeus Wraith is the son of elven nobles in the military nation of Carnath, headed to Morgrave University to learn more about necromancy and wiggle out from under his parents' thumbs. Edmund Chudwell, an egocentric sorcerer and microbrew pioneer slash hotel chain mogul who was cursed into the body of a 14-year-old, hello, comes to Sharn for the same reason he goes anywhere else these days, seeking a way to get out of a child's body and back into a life of money, brothels, and beer. And, from the shrouded land of Aranol, home to the art of holy undeath, come two sisters on a political mission, Kalita, who has a drinking problem and a skeleton dog, and Jimena, who has made a powerful pact with an unknown being in order to deal with her family's creepy bullshit. In the last episode, the party sought patronage from a variety of dragon-marked houses, Greek Row Rush style. Nico started a fight, and Torbjorn finished it. Jimena surprised some good-willed halflings from House Jurasco. Edmund had a member of House Lirandar hot on his tail. Nero met his new favorite teacher. Kalita schmoozed politicians and helped people kick her brother's ass. And everyone ended up being invited to the same penthouse party. How will this strange collision of fate bring the party together? And what's up with Baron Merrick's decaneth? Stay tuned to find out. This is Quarantine Quest. The last war left many legacies in Corvair, for good or ill. One of the greatest of these is a people known as the Warforged. Built as mindless machines to fight in the last war, the Warforged developed sentience as a side effect of the arcane experiments that sought to make them the ultimate weapons of destruction. With each successive model that emerged from the creation forges of House Caneth, the Warforged evolved until they became a new kind of creature, living constructs. When the Treaty of Thronehold was signed, it was decided that the Warforged would be treated as sentient beings. With free will and intelligent thought, they would be regarded as citizens of their respective nations, not as property. However, writing this emancipation was one thing, Putting it into practice has proven to be quite another. In general, the humanoid races of Corvair regard the Warforged as an unpleasant reminder of the brutality of the last war, and avoid dealing with them when possible. Worse, the governments of Thrain and Karnath use the application of indentured servitude to effectively keep their Warforged enslaved, insisting that all Warforged pay back the costs incurred in their creation before citizenship is granted to them than making sure that they never can. The majority of Warforged in other nations seek companionship among humanoids. Some find it working in cities. Others discover the camaraderie of an adventuring party, finding their sense of belonging in the purpose for which they were made, fighting shoulder to shoulder or back to back with an ally. There are some, however, who are instead driven by the bitterness of their post-war existence, filled with animosity for a society that created them to die on their behalf, only to make them outcasts once their purpose was no longer a priority. Those Warforged possessed with this righteous anger have found solidarity in the arcane waste of the Mornlands, former home of Sire, and seat of their House Caneth creators. 
they rally under the banner of the mysterious Lord of Blades. It is said that this renegade warforged is gathering an army, and whispers among the elite claim they have found a battered creation forge in Sire's ruins. The last war left many legacies in Corvair, and some are returning to haunt it. cinematic skipping here um you all if you remember from last time uh there was a uh, there was a brawl uh there was some there was some uh sorority and for dragon marked sorority and fraternity rushing um there was just all sorts of wacky shit going down um and for one reason or another you were all invited to this uh this big hubbub this to do this uh soiree uh, shindig, if you will. You were all invited to a party at the uh, one of the upper floors of the central tower of um, of Sharn. Oh, a hullabaloo, perhaps. Yes, Eric. <laughs> a hullabaloo. Uh, a hoedown, even. Uh, no, not quite a hoedown. Uh, all of you were too wealthy and classy for hoedowns. That's for the that's for the peasants. Oh, hoot nanny, Eric. Hoot nanny. <laughs> if I didn't know better. I'd think you were a poor. Um, Eric was raised as a poor, so yes. <laughs> I, I think all of us were raised as poors, really. Weird, it's almost like there's a huge income disparity in America, and the vast majority of us are, ra- are uh, raised as poors. Anyway, before this turns into a political podcast... Um, <laughs> Uh, so all of you were invited to this soiree. I'll pick the fucking fanciest word. Soiree uh, at uh, one of the upper floors of the central tower of Sharn in a penthouse suite, more or less, owned by House Kenneth, the House of Making. The party itself is being co-hosted by uh, representatives of House Kenneth and House Lirandar. Representatives from every house will be there, as will uh, city nobles, people of import, and... Uh, other folks who were just cool enough to be invited. So uh, one by one, you all made your way to this central tower in the middle of Sharn. It's basically a city block in diameter. It was some World Trade Center level bullshit. The floor that you ascend to is the 12th floor, and the entire floor is one big open-windowed suite the windows are of a polished, clear crystal. The floor is marble. There are ever-burning torches and dancing lights hanging pretty much everywhere. There are uh, stained glass windows as walls in between some of the separating chambers. It's all um, the medieval equivalent of a, of a nightclub, basically. There's a full-scale uh, kitchen in which uh, you see a number of servants and various other people preparing uh, all of the, I don't know, fucking cucumber sandwiches or whatever or caviar i don't know and uh you see a lot of the same people a lot of the same people that you saw from the dragon marked houses and a few people you saw in passing from the university or city officials who were on their way out 
when you were uh, a ground level. All of them now dressed to the nines in their I don't know, doublets. Is a doublet a fancy thing? Doublets and uh, uh, c- cummerbunds. I'm just trying to think of fancy sounding pieces of clothing. Everybody's dressed up in their doublets and their cummerbunds, and uh, and that's it. And the that's it. And if you guys came dressed in a full set of clothes, you did it wrong. You guys have been wealthy for how long, and you've never been to a doublet and cummerbund party? Fucking please. <laughs> so, uh, Jimena, what what would you have been doing at this party? Uh, who who did you talk to? What uh what what have you been doing? What's your party behavior? So Jimena has kind of lived on the outskirts of her society for a while. So she is going to hang out kind of on the side of this party. I don't want to be the center of attention. I know this is weird. I've been weird my whole life. Let's not go there. But would Ulara from the healing tent be at the party? You look around and you don't see her. Um, So you kind of keep to yourself. Occasionally people will stop by and attempt to make small talk. You notice that your sister and your brother are being largely avoided. Your sister, uh, eventually with her charisma and enough wine, ends up talking to a good number of people, making her way around. Uh, some folks who are already getting, uh, you suspect they may have pre-gamed uh, before they arrived, are even uh, petting the skeleton dog here and there, you know, getting a good little shiver out of it. Um, most people still avoid your brother. He's basically on the opposite wall of the room doing exactly what you're doing, except he's scarier looking. Uh, would you have dressed up for this? I mean, you grew up as a noble, so you've got fucking, you know, fine clothes, little black dress, elegant nightgown, full fucking 17th century French ball gown. What you wearing? Uh, I'm just, I'm kind of in something mild, not necessarily the full ball gown, but definitely nice. I mean, it's a dinner party, so... I, I want to blend in, not draw more attention to myself than I usually do. So, uh, Ulara actually approaches you. Uh, you didn't recognize her from a distance because she's, rather than the simple, uh, kind of cleric and healer's robes, but homespun that she was wearing before, she's now wearing a long, almost toga-esque, uh, loose flowing white gown. Uh, she's wearing several interlacing necklaces of pearl with silver earrings hanging down. And uh, she approaches you with her hair done up with uh, silver pins through it, some of them tipped with diamonds, uh, a crystal goblet of some sort of wine in her hand. Um, she just approaches with a very friendly smile. Well, fancy seeing you here. You worked your way up to the top already, I see. I didn't see you after you disappeared. Did you fare all right? Uh, I had a little trouble with my siblings and kind of got out of there as quick as possible. Hi, well, sorry to hear you're not getting along with your family. I definitely noticed them Um, standing over there. I'm guessing that's your your brother way on the other end. Yep. Well, I I heard it rumored that there was a a deathless of Aranol. One of the Death Guard, no less, but... uh, I, I couldn't believe it till I saw it with my own eyes. Uh, so what? What finds you all here in Carver? What's your? 
What's your business? You seem... I mean, forgive me for saying this. It might be cultural insensitivity, but you seem... I don't know, a, a little different from the typical of your kind? I, it's, it, it sounds bad coming out of my mouth. Uh, just, what are, what are you doing here, darling? You're fine. I, uh... I don't know really what I'm doing here. I just kind of felt drawn here and got sent with my sister and brother. Hmm. But hey, here I am. Well, they seem to fit right in, schmoozing as uh, as nobles do. I've never been one for fixtures like this, but, you know, house patrons and matrons do have to make their appearances here and there. Uh, listen, I was very impressed with you, actually, at the healing tent. I'm sure you're very busy, and you've got your, your nobles' business to attend to, but if you ever find yourself on the on the Talenta Plains, or even looking for work at a at a healing haven house here in the city, they call him the Triple H for short, Haven Healing House. Your DM just made that up. Aren't you proud of him? Uh, so you can you can stop by any of those at any time. Um, you know, if you're looking for patronage, we're not the richest house, but your services will always be uh, always be appreciated. And, well, volunteer hours they they help everyone. <laughs> I don't see why that could be anything but a good thing. She kind of she kind of raises her eyebrow a little bit, looks pleasantly surprised, um, and then kind of uh, pats you on the elbow because she's way too short to pat you on the shoulder, um, and heads off into the party with a sympathetic glance. Uh, she seems to very much understand and pick up on the fact that this is very awkward for you. And after that, I believe. We had, let me pull up the Discord. After that was Chuck. So, Chuck, uh, would you have kept your, your splendorous armor and weapon on you to, to display your ultimate dwarvenness? Um, I'm, I'm wearing, like, my fancy armor. Oh, like, man. It's like, it's like light armor. Like, it's still armor, but it's just like a little nicer, more for show than work. Okay. So I'm, I'm done up a little bit, like, a little fancier, but still in my armor. Okay. And nice uh, armor. What, have, what have you been up to? What sort of folks would you be talking to? What, uh, um, what is Torbjorn Barrelman, dwarf of the Mror Strongholds, uh, doing at this, uh, this penthouse party. I'd probably find the bar. Excellent. Um, and just be having a few drinks and probably chatting with like everybody around me. Just kind of being friendly party folk. So uh, as you walk up to the bar, you realize that the bar is also run by a dwarf. Um, and you you recognize him as uh, whoa that was an echo uh, you recognize him as a mountain dwarf as well um, in fact uh, as he puts uh, your your ale down on the table his ring is emblazoned uh, with the signet of a, a lesser house house Werak which in dwarven translates to uh, quartz So uh, he's he's gonna set the beer down in front of you. He's gonna just kind of nod in your direction, look you up and down. Well, it's not a not every day we see a barrelman out here. That's not every day that I get out. <laughs> well, 
it's, uh, it's an honor to see you, your lordship. And he kind of uh, bows very, very stiffly. Uh, you hear a little bit of a crack, and he reaches around, touches his back. <laughs> the old militia days. Uh, not treating me so kindly anymore. So, uh, what, what business brings you here? I, I came here on an errand for my father. Oh, boy. <laughs> Artok Barrowman himself, huh? Uh, yes, he's, uh, has me out doing, doing some things for him. He kind of nods, starts wiping down one of the glasses. Uh, somebody holds up their hand, and they're just like, Um, excuse me, I would like a vodka martini uh, on the rocks, shaken and stirred, muddled, uh, with a side of ranch. And so he, uh, he, he nods, kind of, uh, looks at you with a with an odd look in his eye and then says uh well don't want to keep those folks awaiting if you ever need any help getting around the city you come find me name's buffy and he extends his hand to shake yours what's his, what, what, what was his name buffy b-o-f-i thank you buffy my man i i know where to go when i need some help well hopefully you don't need it but uh even if you're not looking for trouble, this city has a way of uh, finding trouble for you. Well, uh, good spirits to you. Uh, good, good spirits to you as well. Uh, thank you, Kara, yeah. for sending me a picture of a cummerbund. That makes me feel much better. I thought maybe it was, I don't know, some weird other I'd thing. I'd love that is the doublet. Hell yeah. Doublet and cummerbund party. And after that... Alright, Oren, uh, why don't you go ahead? So, after to the party, um, Nero would probably be like, oh, I'm finally out from under my parents' thumb. Perhaps I should indulge. And he would probably actually go to the bar. Okay. Uh, just from that single anecdote, I get the feeling that your parents were maybe a little controlling. That is exactly on the nose. It was more of like, you know, do your studies, you know, study, 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 get better, focus on necromancy. We need you to become stronger. We need you to serve our nation. You are going to be our ticket to even higher standing. Alright, so you're just like, oh boy, I'm going to go to the bar. Kind of. <laughs> just like that moment's like, oh, oh yes. <laughs> Freedom. I, <laughs> I have this lovely picture in my head that you were the one that ordered the obscene martini with a side of ranch. But, um, you... <laughs> <laughs> Please. Ranch is an alcohol, correct? Um, you uh, you go ahead and walk up to the bar. Definitely him. And this bar is like, you know, a solid 40 feet long. Uh, Buffy is definitely not the only person there. So he is, however, the person that after talking to Torbjorn uh, walks further down the bar just as you walk up. Now, are you still dressed in your black robes with the skull cap shillelagh staff or are you, uh, are you gussied up? most likely not gussied up. Okay. I still I still have my bag. It's one of those things I didn't really plan on going to this party, but figured I was invited by that very um, polite gentleman, so I figured I'd come, maybe say hi. Okay. And after indulging for a tad, probably maybe try and find a quiet room to read. It's one uh, of those things. Human interaction. Okay, I'm done. So... Yeah, you order a drink. Uh, what do you order from Bofi the barkeep? Excuse me, uh, sir. Yeah, well, what can I do you for, kid? Um, no, 
Would you happen to have, uh, perhaps one of your, uh, what would you recommend if I ordered something? I actually don't really have a taste for alcohol. I've not drinking it much, we'll say. Uh, surprise me, how about that? All right. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. And he's going to walk over to the shelf. He's going to look around for a minute, and then he's going to pull a, a crystal vial of this uh, bluish, bluish-white liquid down. Uh, he uncorks it, and uh, he pours a tiny thimbleful into the bottom of a crystal glass in front of you. Uh, and instantly, you get like this cold feeling in your nostrils, hints of hints of winter grape and menthol. Uh, and he's going to put it back up on the, uh, gonna put it back up on the shelf. No, no charge for that one. I want to see your face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, yeah, at that point, uh, Nero would literally just take the thimble and just down just it. Drop it back. So, a couple things happen. Your throat immediately starts burning. Have you ever had just the plain NyQuil? Like, no cherry, no berry flavor, just plain-ass NyQuil. So basically, it's like you've been sucking a cough drop or just took some plain NyQuil, and then immediately followed it with a glass of ice water. That super, super freezy cold feeling in the back of your throat. That hits you. Um, the, the bitter tang, like, kind of smacks off your tongue, and... You're not sure if this is what alcohol is supposed to be like, but roll a fortitude save. All right, let's see what happens. Oh, yeah, I guess constitution save. Keep forgetting how 5th edition works. Holy butts. It's a nat 20. Jesus Christ. Um, so you cough, and uh, Bofi, like, chuckles, chuckles darkly. Um, and you hear the woman next to you gasp a little bit, and then she turns to the man next to him and just... Did you just see him? That was elven ice wine. He didn't even let it sit on the palate. Just chugged it like a savage. And uh, Buffy's gonna look at you. Still got a, still got no taste for alcohol, there, buddy. Actually, that was quite novel. <laughs> okay. Well, if you like novel, I've got something for you. You hear a. Uh, half-elf yell from down the bar. Uh, Buffy, I'm a bit swamped over here. There's a couple people who need orders. And he's gonna hold his hand up and wave it. I'll be there in a minute. I'm having fun. He's gonna turn around, walk over, tap open a keg, pour you a, a pint of something. He sets it down. It's a very, very dark, thick brew. It smells uh, smells very nutty um, with hints of almost like peat. And he's, uh, he's just gonna say, This one here is called a butterscotch ale. Give it a shot. And uh, you continue drinking until uh, you're a bit warm in the head. Um, and would you have gone and tried to find that teacher who spoke to you at all? Most likely. But it's one of those things, like, the, Nero's very... He, he thinks how just generous this... How generous Bofi is being. And he'd be like, are you sure I don't have to pay? No, oh, I mean, the hosts always pay for this. That It's called an open bar. It's a, it's, a big, it's a big kid word. Strange. So uh, you, you come up here and drink as much as you want. Uh, however, have you heard of something called cut-off? No. Okay, Actually. well, that's when you drink so much that you either can't stand up or you turn into a huge asshole. So if you start feeling like an asshole, like you're going to lose your dinner, maybe cut yourself off before I have to. Perhaps I'll just have this... What is this? 
a butterscotch ale. Uh, perhaps I'll just have this ale for the rest of the night. Thank you so much. And the other thing was elven ice wine. Elven ice wine, yep. Hmm. I might have to suggest that to my, to my uh, mother and father. I wonder if they've ever heard of it. Ooh, mother and father. <laughs> Well, uh, hopefully uh, you're home by curfew to tell him. <laughs> and he's oh. gonna kind of lean over the bar and pat you on the forearm. You did good, kid. And he's gonna he's gonna turn around and walk off. Uh, so eventually, you do find Benjamin, uh, the teacher. He's deep in conversation with a scholar whom he introduces as Bonal Geldim. Uh, he's an elderly human scholar, also from Morgrave University. Um, and he uh, has this notebook on him that he is, uh, it's got some sort of symbol on the front of it, and he's gesturing at Benjamin, showing different lines. And Benjamin is kind of nodded and absorbing in deep interest. Um, and so you stop by and, you know, kind of try and absorb what they're saying for a while. There's cordial introduction. And uh, then your head kind of starts to feel a little fuzzy as, as you get your way through this pint of butterscotch ale. Um, and that first fortitude save kept you rolling, but this is this is uh, dwarven homebrew. So, uh, so eventually the words kind of start to blend together, and you lose focus, and just kind of make it through the rest of the night wandering about. And Eric, um, how is how is young Nico faring at this party? What have, what have you been doing? Who have you been talking to? Um, Nico is uh, more shy than anything else, so he's going to be cool. he's going to make his best effort to socialize with people and. Gonna reach out and do his best to chat with people, but for the most part, he wants to stick to himself and kind of like have a drink in the corner. Okay. Uh, does want to chat with the uh, forget his name? He seems pretty interested in do, and you know, Eco is very proud of this thing that he completed. Uh, you easily find Baron Merrick's Decaneth. Um, he has been walking around the party, talking to people left and right, introducing himself. Uh, you've seen him as well, Torbjorn, um, and he seems to have cheered up uh, substantially since last you chased him down and talked to him, and he made, you know, strange allusions to uh, needing to pay off some debts. Um, but yeah, he's, a, he's in a... Whether he's hiding it well or whether he took care of whatever he needed to take care of, he's in a jolly mood talking to everyone who will give him the time of day. Um, and eventually he does lay sights on you, Nico, and immediately like, kind of makes as much of a beeline through the crowd as a popular uh, politician and house patron could. My dear boy, dear boy, I am so glad you made it here. Here, let's, let, let's move to a, a spot that's a little uh, less in the center of the floor, shall we? And he's going to reach down, place a hand on your shoulder, and kind of start guiding you towards uh, one of the wall benches. Yeah, and Nico's going to go with him, and he'll say, uh, Oh, I, I really appreciate the invitation, sir. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, not necessarily my favorite kind of gathering to be at, but I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Yes, well, well, I, uh, I understand that uh, that Eckert keeps uh, keeps his house mostly to himself these days. He used to used to throw a grand ball back in his military days, but um, well, the the last war is long behind us. <laughs> even the even the last remnants of it. Um, so uh, I I would assume you're probably not used to things like this at all. So I, I I do appreciate you coming. I know, especially for us intellectuals, sometimes things like this can be a bit overwhelming. I've been I've had a lot of training, you could say. Uh, but show me again this strange little gadget. What did you call it? Uh, I I call him Dew. 
Excellent. Bring him bring him out. Let me see him. Um, and Nico will kind of like activate Dew by just kind of like poking at him. He's kind of like a watch right now, kind of just like a brace okay. around Nico's arm. And so Nico will kind of like poke at him and it'll like turn him on essentially. Okay. And he'll kind of like skitter up Nico's arm and onto his shoulder. You can hear him whirring. He's a little bit more clockwork than anything else. Alrighty, and he's going to, uh, he's going to once again get down real close, and, um, he actually pulls out one of those, uh, like, you know Toy Story 2 when the guy's fixing Woody? And he has, he has those spectacles that just kind of have, like, six layers that magnify further and further? Yes. He, uh, he, he pulls out a, a monocle from the front of his jacket pocket and kind of gives it a flick, and seemingly as if out of nowhere, like, three magnifying lenses pop out in front of it. He starts looking at Dew, kind of circling around your shoulder a little bit. He's crouched down almost to a kneeling position, um, mm-hmm. since you are a gnome, and uh, just keeps muttering to himself, "Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. The the gear work on this is just and the intricacy. How on earth?" And various things like that. Um, uh, do you do you say anything, or just kind of wait for him to finish? Um, I would wait for him to finish. So uh, he goes about this for like a solid three to four minutes. Uh, it's it, you know people are kind of looking over a little weirdly. A couple people kind of nudge each other on the shoulder and chuckle and shake their heads like, "Oh, silly Baron Merrick's doing his thing again." Um, and eventually he puts the monocle away. My dear boy, has unless Eckert's changed a substantial amount since last I I, I held counsel with him. Is you don't have any facilities uh, for for building anything like this, do you? Uh, your, your father doesn't have a, a mechanics shop. Have you have you been apprenticing with an artificer? Uh, no, I kind of just uh, tinker a little bit in my room. <laughs> you kind of just tinker a little bit in your room, my boy. This is a marvel. You're you're a certified genius. What have what have what have you been doing all of these years? You should have you should have been here by the time you were. You were barely out of school, before school even. Heavens, what have you been doing? Uh, I've, I've really been just uh, trying to make my uh, stepfather proud. <laughs> well, if your stepfather's not proud already, blinder man than I thought. Um, look, my boy, I I don't know if you're looking for patronage. I, I don't know if you're interested in it. Are you, are you, you're here to attend Morgrave, right? I, I think I remember you uh, coming up and, and shaking the dean's hand and whatnot during the initiation, yes? Uh, I am here to attend this board, yeah. Well, well, well. I, I, I know you'll probably be busy with university studies and all of that, but uh, a patronage with a dragon-marked house, especially one we have a huge presence in Morgrave University, and a patronage would offer you access to some resources, including one of the many artificers' laboratories, uh, and uh, possibly a personal house to Kenneth Tudor, if, if we can manage that. Uh, all that it would require would be, you know, a, a few contractual obligations here and there to uh, share elements of your research. Obviously, your research stays your own. It's patented under your name, but uh, we could we could get into the nitty-gritty details later. All I wanted to tell you was that if you want a patronage with House to Kenneth, by God, kid, it's yours. I, I've, I've never seen work like this. It's astounding. Can I, can I take the night? sleep on it and get back to you in the morning? Oh, of course. I, I, I mean, I will I will be going back to uh, House Decanet's main main tower here in the city, uh, but you you will definitely be hearing from me, uh, so take as many nights to sleep on it as you wish. I will tell you what. I'll, I'll put it at a one-week interval 
I will I will come back into the university and check in with you in, in, in one week. Does that sound reasonable? That, that sounds excellent. I, I appreciate your, uh, your interest in my work. Oh, of course. Your work is fantastically interesting. It's in, inherently. Anyway, oh, sorry. I, I see someone over there who needs my attention. Uh, hello, Bethany. Oh, it's, it's been forever since I've seen you. Come here. What is the... Hey there, adventurers and socially distanced citizens. It's me, your master of games and purveyor of long-distance entertainment. Just wanted to take a minute to say some thank yous. Firstly, thank you for listening. Uh, This is a low-budget production, so we all understand that sometimes the remote audio from Discord is not primo quality. However, we firmly believe that our storytelling and escapades are going to bring you some much-needed entertainment, so we really appreciate you listening through these early stages with us as we strive to share the fun. It means a lot to us. Secondly, we want to thank Tabletop Audio. Those of you who have listened to our currently on hiatus D20-somethings podcast know all about them by now. Tabletop Audio is your source for background ambiences and music to enrich your gameplay experience. This site has an incredible array and variety of audio for streaming and download all for free. F-R-E-E. Free. Uh, If you do use their audio products to enrich your fun as this podcast does, do please consider donating or supporting their Patreon. Uh, We support their Patreon, and it's 100% worth it. Lastly, we do want to take one more minute to remind you that America's movement for racial equality, justice, and social change is still in full swing. This is officially the biggest civil rights movement in history. Nationwide protests and other social movements are starting to garner real results, including serious regional conversations about deconstructing and rethinking the police system as we know it. There's a lot going on, but we've still got a long ways to go. For the time being, all proceeds made from Patreon donations or upcoming merch sales will still be going to Black Lives Matter and organizations recommended by their directory. Stay strong, everyone, and remember, change is critical. Now, back to the adventure. So you've uh, you've all been at this this party now for a while, and uh, whether tipsied up or not, all of you kind of eventually uh, make your way to the end of the party. You probably leave out the 10th floor. As I described in Sharn before, if you remember, there seem to be like multiple ground floors, essentially, or multiple ground levels, I should say. Each level of skyscraper, about every five to 10 stories up, has some degree of a walkway, sky bridge, um, webway, a network. So you guys probably came out at about the the 10th floor is where everybody's emptying. You guys kind of stand around or file out nearby each other. You guys are some of the last to leave. Uh, party party etiquette is uh, seems to be kind of a, a, little, a little awkward for everyone present. Um, probably Edmund Chudwell and uh, your sister, Jimena, would have been the most uh, socially mobile people. Uh, the main problem being that... Uh, I mean, you guys haven't even met Edmund Chudwell yet, so you wouldn't notice that he's not around. And Jimena, Arcturus kind of walks up and stands silently behind you um, as you wait outside the door. And Kalida does not show up. Uh, she seems to have possibly left already for the uh, the suite arrangements in one of the many hotels uh, that were made for you. Or possibly she's still up there, you know, using the bathroom or something like that. But you wait for a fair amount. It begins raining quite heavily, and uh, you still haven't seen her. So 
under Arcturus's advisement, uh, you guys decide to um, decide to head back for the uh, the suite that you guys were scheduled for. Uh, the most most of the rest of you are probably thinking about the same. You each have your own rooms. All of you, uh, let's see. The House Galanodon suite that was arranged for you uh, by House Fierlan, the only elven house in the city, is on the same side of town as Morgrave University. And uh, you, Torbjorn Barrelman, haven't made arrangements for yourself yet, but most of the hotels and accommodations are also on the university side. As, you know, when people come to check it out and such, they always need a place to stay, and having it close by is a good idea. So you all find yourselves walking in roughly the same direction. Eventually it is just the one, two, three, four of you. Uh, Everybody else is kind of filtered off, and uh, by coincidence, the four of you are walking along one of the the Sky Bridge networks. So let me pull up my, my book here. And you guys can go ahead and hop into Roll20 if you'd like. So as I mentioned before, it's raining quite heavily. Uh, curtains of water are falling from the sky as you traverse the labyrinthine walkways of Sharn. The stone and wooden paths wind around and between the towers and spires high above the ground, forming a complex latticework that can be very confusing on evenings such as this. The rain is falling very, very hard, running off the higher walkways and balconies in drenching waves. Uh, makes it difficult to see much more than about a few feet ahead of you. The distant glow of ever-bright lanterns, barely visible in the soaking gloom, does little to light the paths on this warm, wet evening. So you have all kind of walking in close proximity to each other. Would any of you have struck up a conversation with the others while walking, since you all find yourself in coincidental proximity? Heeman, I would probably do anything to not talk to her brother. <laughs> okay. It's lucky that your brother doesn't talk much. Um, um, how about any of the rest of you? Um, not knowing these people, I think that Nico would kind of keep to himself, kind of just like put up his collar a little bit and just like shy away from them. Like, if it was probably like a nicer day, I probably would have. But like, since it's like raining, I probably just like kind of focused, trying to get into, like, somewhere drier. Uh, and you know the hotel district is to the west. You can see the uh, the area lit with ever-bright lanterns uh, leading west uh, westward over that bridge. You can see this, uh, this fountain kind of vaguely in the distance. Uh, you can't hear its running water over the sound of the rain, uh, but I'd like all of you to roll a perception. Okay. So did anybody, does anybody have above an 18 result? I have a 24. I had a 21. Uh, so Torbjorn and Nero, as you are rounding the corner, both of you can kind of make out in the middle of the bridge uh, what looks like a big hunched figure. Um, and then as it splits away from itself, you can see the barely perceptible form of a bundle or something lying on the ground as a second figure stands up from tampering with it. Uh, you can't see the figure's face or really its form. It's dressed in a cloak with the hood pulled up above its head. But as soon as it sees you coming, it immediately starts sprinting for the other end of the bridge and um, disappears off into the rain. Uh, would you pay any heed or just keep walking toward the bridge? 
Nero would want to want to see what's on the bridge. Yeah, I I would go. That's suspicious. How are you guys moving forward? I guess Nero, I like I see Nero moving kind of cautiously, but more purposely forward. And Torbjorn, I see just kind of like edging past the others and like walking straight forward toward the bridge. Yeah, I'd probably just kind of start kind of walking with a purpose, like just roll fast over there. All right. So as you guys walk uh, toward the bridge, you get within about um, 15 feet of the gigantic spoiler there on the bridge, because I didn't have a way to hide that from the DM's book. Uh, Lightning flashes, and you see a shape on the stone floor of the bridge in the brief illumination. It appears to be someone lying on the ground. By the gods! <laughs> Everybody else sees uh, sees these two kind of moving toward the bridge. You guess maybe they're walking faster to get to be home. I mean, I guess Nero just reacted, so you guys hear Nero go, By the gods! Being a naturally curious person, he's just kind of, kind of shuffle up and stay kind of like towards the, uh, the edge of the uh, side of the bridge, but still kind of close enough to see what's going on. Okay. Is your... Sorry, is your mic, like, far away from your mouth or something? Yeah, I got bent down, sorry. Okay, no worries. I just could barely hear you, so... Uh, you said you you kind of stepped forward being curious, but kind of keeping towards the keeping towards the edge? Yeah, he would, uh... He would be curious about what's going on, but he doesn't want to be near people, because he doesn't know them. How about you, Humana? Humana would kind of just keep walking. Like, they're on the way she'll get there when she gets there. Okay. Arcturus kind of stays next to you, but you see his hand go down to his longsword. Torbjorn and Nero, do either of you go up to the body? Uh, Nero would. Okay. Excuse me, uh, are you okay? There is no response. Nero would probably get closer and just be like, excuse me, sir, madam, are you all right? Can I walk up, like, kind of beside him and kind of poke at it to see if he's like... <laughs> um, you poke at him and he still does not move. Nero would bend down and are they lying face down or face up? Uh, he's lying face down. Nero would probably try and roll him over quickly and kind of assess... The person's throat has been slit. Uh, Nero would recoil quite quick, quickly. <gasps> Is it still bleeding profusely? Uh, yeah, no, they they literally just cut his throat. Like, he's gone, but the blood oh. is still coming out. What happened? I don't know. That, that barbarian must have killed him. Can I tell if he is just dead? Like there is no chance of saving. This there is. Person. He's 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 dead. His like as you bend down, his heartbeat is is gone. There's nothing left. Um, all of you, however, go ahead and roll perception checks again, or give me your passive perception, whichever is greater. Oh, I got an eight. <laughs> oh no. Thirteen. My passive would be thirteen. That's a 21. My password's going to be 12. All right. So, Torbjorn, you can see being so close to the body that it has a leather satchel clutched t- 
tightly in its hand. Hanging from the front of its robe belt, Nero, you see the corner of a familiar journal. Jimena, you looking at the dead body kind of curiously and then not wanting to, you know, not wanting to deal with that, you kind of look to the side a little bit and off into the distance, your heartbeat escalating, and you see about 20 feet past the body from under the side of the bridge, the cloaked figure reemerge, jump up over the railing, and begin sprinting at Nero and Torbjorn. Roll initiative. Kimena, if you have if you have an action you can take, you get the only surprise round. Well, you know what? Of course I have an action I can take. I'm a warlock. So we're gonna do something fairly standard. Okay. I'm doing an Eldritch Blast, because why the heck not? Okay. I believe that's a ranged spell attack, so go ahead and roll for that. Ten. Not gonna cut it. So you fire off an Eldritch Blast on Reflex, and this uh, blast of fire shoots out of your hand and forward, crackling through the air and evaporating the rain around it. But this figure dodges uh, right out of the way of it and continues running with surprising, uh, surprising agility. And after that, the official round begins. Nico, yours is the first action. Hello? Can you hear me okay? Spread it, edit, pause, edit, check. Um, seeing this uh, figure run up and kind of like sprint at him, Nico is gonna kind of freak out a little bit, and he's just gonna activate too and have him shoot a blast at it. Go ahead and roll for that blast. How does a 20 grab you? A 20? By the diddly bits. What damage does it do? Uh, that is going to do six points of damage. Ooh, six points of damage. So the purple blast shoots out of dew upon your reflexive activation. It shoots forward and hits this guy dead in the face or blows the hood of the cloak backwards off of his head, and what you see underneath surprises you. It is the face of a warforged, and you kind of stop him in his tracks as this blast hits him. Wood kind of smolders where the arcane blast hit him for a moment. The metal kind of heats up red hot and then starts fading away. You can hear the hiss of the raindrops hitting it, and he begins moving forward again, and it is his turn. He's going to go ahead and rush straight at Torbjorn, since Torbjorn is standing closest to the body. And as he runs, you're going to see him pull out a battle axe from underneath his cloak, and he goes and takes a swing at you. Does an 18 hit? It's on the dot. Alrighty, so he swings this battle axe. You weren't quite ready for it. I mean, this dude's sprinting at you out of the rain. As only Humana knows, he climbed out from under the bridge that he was apparently clinging to, waiting to surprise you. That does eight points of damage. 
So the axe comes upwards and kind of smashes into your shoulder. Uh, you can feel the, the crack as your shoulder kind of uh, shifts backwards. And uh, you can feel the underpit of your armor crunching against your rib cage. After that, it is Nero. So this guy just charged um, right up to Torbjorn and drove an axe into him right next to you. In a panic, Nero would kind of raise his staff and slam it down. It's back, fiend! And then cast Mirror, mirror Image. So, three duplicate. Oh, shit. They're just kind of shimmering and echoing, and the idea was to protect myself and scare the thing. You succeed in scaring him. He kind of uh, backs up just a step, and then you hear from out behind his mask uh, whatever apparatus he has in there lets out a shrill. Go ahead and roll perception checks. Scared my cats. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they were I'm sorry, kitties. Did anybody perception? get a 15 or above? Yeah, perception. I did. I got in 17. Jimena, you see, coming out from behind this corner, uh, another cloaked figure. This one, a good amount larger and bulkier. So after that comes, after that comes Arcturus. So Jimena, you just hear the familiar sound of shh as his enormous elven long blade comes out of its scabbard, and he just steps, kind of a power walking with purpose. In between, he dodges in between Nico and one of these mirror images, strides around the side of you, Torbjorn, as you begin reaching for your weapon, and then lifts his sword high and goes in for an attack against whoever the hell this is. Barely hits. Ooh, he does it a nice blow, though, so he swings downward, and the shoulder kind of uh, caves in on this guy, and you can see, like, the light of sparks kind of shooting up out of uh, his robe. After that, it is Torbjorn. I want to, like, finish pulling out my axe and return the swing. Hit a motherfucker. 15 hit. Hits exactly. Hey. Uh, 16 damage. 16 damage? Yeah. You fucking lay him out. His his arm got almost halfway chopped off by Arcturus. He looks over at it. It's like one of those com comedic relief moments. He looks down at it, looks straight back up at you, and then you just axe his fucking head off. Uh, it goes rolling. It goes rolling backwards along the bridge, and the uh, clockwork mechanics of his body collapse. And after that, it is Jimena's turn. You can still see this uh, this other motherfucker at the other end of the bridge. So, Humana will probably take another Eldritch Blast at that guy. Okie dokie, go ahead and roll the attack. <laughs> 13 to hit. 13 to hit, unfortunately, does not hit. So, whatever this figure is underneath its cloak, uh, you fire your Eldritch Blast at it, the fire sears forward, and it hits it, like, square in the chest, but it seems to just kind of plove through it, and the fire splits off to either side of it. It does, however, burn off the creature's cloak, and you guys see another Warforged, but this one is much larger. It's about the size of a gorilla, broad-shouldered with very long arms, and you see that its fists are made of solid steel. It kind of drops onto those fists, running much like a gorilla, and begins just 
charging down the bridge. Nico, it's your turn. Uh, Nico is going to use his standard action to throw his boomerang in a wide arc. Okay. This thing is running towards him. Uh, that's another 20 total. Alrighty, 20 total hits. Uh, seven points of damage. Seven points of damage. So what does this boomerang look like? Like, describe it to me. What is it? So it's uh, this uh, piece of metal that he's uh, kind of like shaped into a boomerang shape. Um, just kind of like tinkering with it. He kind of like welded together gears onto it to make it a little bit more uh, sharp. I picture like in a couple places it has like, you know, gears like welded onto it kind of for aesthetic and kind of for weight. And then you just like, I don't know, like grinder sharpened the edge of the gears. So they're like razor teeth. Yeah, kind of. I would I would assume like the uh, the batarangs. Nice, nice. But as a bonus action, he is going to enact you and have you take another shot at him. And that's going to be a 12. A 12. 12 does not hit, unfortunately. So uh, you and do have the same thought. It just hit this thing. So you chuck your boomerang. It strikes the guy in the shoulder. And uh, remind me, does this have the returning property? Is that what you imbued it with? It does. I did imbue it with the returning property. All right, awesome. So your boomerang strikes it in the shoulder, and somehow this little bitty boomerang breaks this thing's stride, kind of knocks it sideways, which unfortunately threw it off trajectory, and Dew's arcane blast goes sailing past it. You hear kind of a little crumbling of stone and a splash. You assume it ended up in the fountain on the other side of the bridge. And Jimena, you are the only one standing behind Nico at this point, the only one who can see him. So you see this explosion of purple light shoot out, at this thing at the same time that um, in that purple light this little gnome's face determined and jaw set with eyes wider than saucers just chucks like a little piece of metal a little fucking boomerang at this thing and all of a sudden you just hear this chunk and the thing stumbles against uh, stumbles against the side of the bridge as this thing hits it and embeds deep in its shoulder and then you watch a zip of light as this metal wrenches itself loose of the Warforged Juggernaut's body and ends up back in his hand. So this little guy is a lot more than he seems. I kind of would like to think that maybe he's got like a super powered magnet to, to get the boomerang to come back. I love rather it. Rather than like, it's just straight up return, but. I, I, I love that aesthetic. I genuinely love it. It is the Juggernaut's turn. So angered by both being struck in the shoulder by an annoyingly sharp boomerang and also the fact that y'all just killed his friend. He is going to charge Arcturus uh, and he is going to rage while doing so. So you hear him just (laughs) charge forward and make a swingeronian cheese. He misses. So, um, You see as he charges, he raises one of his arms, and out of the massive forearm, uh, a little compartment opens, and just just fast enough you would think that he pulled it out of nowhere. A battle axe springs out of it like a utility knife and ends up in his hand. He takes a huge swing at Arcturus with it, and almost as if it didn't even phase him, Arcturus flicks his blade up and blocks it, and then just turns his head to look this thing in the eye. After that, it is Nero's turn. Nero will turn, point his finger, and cast True Strike. Okay. At, 
essentially gives my next attack advantage. Excellent. After that comes Arcturus, so he is going to take a swing at this thing, and he misses. So he pulls his sword back in a wide arc and goes in for a two-handed swing at this guy, and with the battle axe still clenched in its fist, this thing throws both of those fists up over its head, and uh, there is a shower of sparks as the blade of Arcturus's sword meets these steel fists, and you can see them in the classic, like, a battle of the muscles, like, pressing against each other to try to gain advantage. After that, it is Torbjorn. He's near me. I uh, want to swing at him as well. With my great axe. Hell yeah. 17 hit. 17 hits. Yes. Uh, 17? 17 damage. God damn. How do you look when you swing your axe? Like, how do you, how do you fight? Are you pretty refined? Do you, like, Babe Ruth slug it? Like, pivot on your heel, put this thing out in front of you, and spin? Like, how do you... How do you swing? What's your fighting style? Probably, um, put some sort of little, like, flourish on it. Uh, like, kind of just, like, take out, like, a really big spin while I'm, like, slicing at him. Excellent. Uh, I only asked because uh, your axe passes through as you swing around in a circle, passes through <laughs> one of Nero's uh, mirror images. Uh, it doesn't actually do any damage or disperse it, but a high enough uh, perception check would have revealed that that one was a mirror image. So you swing around in a wide, flourished circle that uh, makes you look like a big fancy boy, but anybody who was giving you martial training would be like, no, no, don't do that, stop. Yeah. Uh, so you swing it around in this big arc and crash it straight into this thing's back. It feels like chopping a tree, and uh, you deal 17 points of damage to it. It begins to buckle severely. After that, it is Jimena. What do you do? So I think y'all can guess what she's going to do. Just going to Eldritch Blast it again? Yup. While you're rolling, I just imagine like so anxious and so strung up on everything that has unexpectedly happened today already. Finally! You just fucking are just like firing off Eldritch Blast after Eldritch Blast at this thing. Just like, go, go, no, don't, just stop. That's a 24. Holy shit, yep, you hit. (laughs) That's three points of damage. So you extend your hand, shoot this bolt of fire out of your finger, and something, like, you hear a high-pitched beep in your head. Also, I wanted to bring attention to the fact that uh, earlier in the podcast, we had mandated it was canon that your patron only speaks to you in uh, high, shrill beeps. So I apologize uh, for that error. Uh, But in... Somewhere in the back of your mind, you hear a sound kind of, uh, kind of like a... You don't know what a microwave is, but you imagine that something called a microwave would probably sound like this when food is hot. Mystified as to what that could possibly mean, you hear a little beep in the back of your head as you fire this one, and all of the anxiety in your head clears for just a split second, and the thin beam of fire plows straight through the eye hole in the middle of this Warforged's faceplate. You see the back of its head burst into flames, and it crumples to the bridge, hissing in the rain. What do you all do? Well, we should probably go find the authorities. Like Nero's trembling. And perhaps see this person is but looking at the journal 
I know who this is, I'm guessing. You look down, and um, it is indeed the body of Bonal Geldum, the elderly human scholar from Morgrave University. What are what are each of you doing, I guess, in initiative order? So starting with Nico, what are you doing? Um, Nico is so intrigued by the Warforged because they're lit- they're like, yeah, they're like Duke, but on a much bigger and more impressive scale. And this is what Nico does with his free time. It creates little clockwork things. So he kind of wants to look at this, this great ape-looking Warforged and kind of like design, hone in on what it's all about. Uh, he is less concerned about like the dead person currently and more like intrigued by the the mechanics of this thing. Just gonna geek out over the Warforges. Essentially, yeah, that's exactly what he's gonna do. He's just gonna like geek out over this thing because he's just so blown away by it. Alright, so Arcturus takes a couple of steps backwards, sheathing his sword. And uh, you kind of skitter your way on past him and uh, start taking a look over here at, uh, at the mm. body of that, that big Warforged. Um, it's obviously been pretty ravaged. Um, but you uh, go ahead and roll an intelligence check. Uh, that's an eight. An eight. Okay. <clears throat> you have never seen or heard of anything like this before. Um, but it is built more or less like a standard Warforged, uh, but the first things you can tell about it are obviously the gigantic, what you thought were steel fists, uh, were actually adamantine. Um, and this thing's immensely heavy. Uh, its back has been split open, and inside you can see that, as opposed to a normal Warforged, it's, you know, like, maybe three-inch thick layer of wood surrounding their inner workings. This thing had probably a solid half a foot of just solid oak wood uh, that Torbjorn's axe split open. You can kind of see the gears and stuff in there, but it would take a much, much bigger hands and a lot more time than you probably have to really dissect it. After that is, let's see, after Nico was Nero. Nero, what are you doing? Um, looking at the body, Nero would first maybe try and lift it or... And if not being able to lift, he'd probably turn to the dwarf in front of him or one of his companions. Would, would somebody able be able to help me take the body to perhaps another, a constable station? I, I can help you with that. I first he's got he's got something in his hand. I want to look at first. So you uh you you are going for the pouch, uh, Chuck, yes. and I'm guessing you are more interested in the journal, Nero. Yes. Do you actually grab the journal, or are you going to leave it on his body for now? Out of respect, I think Nero would probably leave it on his body. Uh, so you leave it on his body, um, and you notice that as like the rain is falling on it, like everything else he has, including that satchel, is just absolutely soaked. But you notice that the journal is completely dry. Uh, any rain that's landing on it is totally running off of it. Um, um, you would guess it's enchanted somehow. Inside the satchel... Uh, you find ten silver pieces, two gold pieces, uh, if you're interested in stealing this man's wealth. I, I think it's going to be really interesting to play with a party uh, that loots bodies but has no motivation to get money whatsoever. No, <laughs> yeah, I don't think Hasn't changed. I have no use for this. <laughs> ten silver pieces and two gold pieces. Why, the man was destitute. 
Um, the satchel's very well made and stylish, uh, but it mostly contains just quill and inks, uh, six blank, sheet, blank sheets of fine Carnathy paper slowly soaking up the water from the rain, and a wrapped up apple. Uh, nothing of particular interest. You do find a uh, signet ring in there, and uh, the symbol is a uh, anvil with a uh, hammer floating above it. And if you look at the journal, uh, you will see the same symbol emblazoned on the front of it. I want to like kind of look at the ring and. Uh, Torbjorn, you are the only one uh, that actually recognizes this symbol. You don't know exactly what it's called or if a specific house is associated with it, but it is a symbol um, from like pre-Galifar Corvair. Um, you've seen it a couple times on really old artifacts in uh, the Dwarven museums that are in some of the holds of Muir. It's only on a couple of them. But you definitely have seen this symbol before. It seems to be associated with, uh, with like builders or forgers or artificers, basically people that that made stuff. The hammer and anvil—it's pretty self-evident. Uh, but stylized like this, with uh, the specific runes on either side of it, is definitely an ancient, ancient pre-Galifar symbol. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pocket it. How about you, Humana? What are you doing? Uh, Jimena is going to move over to Arcturus and ask him why he thinks that we were attacked on our way to our hotel. Hmm. It seems less to me that we were attacked. Rather, that this man was attacked and we were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Only the wrong time in that we were too late to prevent this man's death. I hope that his human soul passes into the afterlife with as much grace as he can. I am more concerned for the whereabouts of our sister. Out of game, this wasn't the man who invited me to the party, was he? No, no, uh, this was the man that you saw, uh, you went to find Benjamin, the older gentleman who had invited you, um, and this was the man that you saw him in discussion with over this exact journal. Nero would probably take, finally take the journal for safekeeping, but with intent to give to the authorities. So as you pull it out of his belt, uh, it falls open a little bit, and the pages inside are completely blank. Uh, but they seem to also be deflecting the rain. Uh, so puzzled by this, you kind of close up the journal and uh, reverently go to put it in your pocket. As you turn to put it in your pocket, and uh, as Torbjorn moves over to kind of heft the body up next to you, as it passes by Torbjorn, the symbol on the front of it begins to glow just faintly. Excuse me, uh, friend? Yes. Hold still for a moment. In a really awkward moment, just kind of takes the book and puts it near Torbjorn. The closer you move it to Torbjorn, uh, the brighter it kind of shimmers. Um, and you can see it, it looks like, you know, just regular engraving. And as it gets closer to Torbjorn, the symbol on the front of it actually begins to look more and more like, um, like almost like mithril thread. Uh, and the leather on it begins to look richer and richer. Um, and you can also see a faint, faint 
yellow glow from Torbjorn's pocket. Do I see the journals glowing? Yeah, definitely. I'm going to kind of like reach into my pocket and touch the ring. Uh, the, the ring feels kind of warm, uh, and as you look down uh, into your pocket, you can see that it is also glowing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it out of my pocket and like hold it like next to the journal. They both begin to glow very, very brightly, and you begin to see writing appear on the pages of the journal. How curious. Like, can I, like, see the writing without, like, putting the ring on, or do I have to, like, put the ring, like... You don't have to put the ring on. Uh, the ring and the, the... The two symbols being in close proximity seem to cool. be uh, some sort of key to this journal, it seems like. The journal is written in uh, a language that none of you are familiar with, uh, but there is definitely writing in it, uh, and the rain continues to just bounce off of the pages, not affecting the ink at all. Uh, now that the, the din of battle is over and you're all kind of uh, doing your own thing, you are beginning to hear uh, a couple voices high, high up in the towers kind of calling back and forth, um, and you can hear the din of uh, a few people underneath you, probably 50, 60 feet at the, uh, the next walkway below you, uh, kind of discussing things with themselves or shouting a little bit. Um, and you finally do hear someone yell, Call the watch! I would probably wait for the watch. Like, I feel like it would probably be my duty to talk, talk to them and... You know. It's my duty to talk to the police, typical rich person. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a politi- I'm a rat. <laughs> <laughs> how about uh how about you, Nico and Humana? Humana is very much like he's dead, there's not much I can do, but I guess I'll hang out and talk to the watch. Nico is just so entranced by this thing that he's going to continue like poking at it. Um, is there any way that I could tell how old this particular Warforged would be? Go ahead and roll another intelligence check for me. Uh, 18 on that one. Uh, so with an 18, you can definitely tell that this was a uh, like a late war era Warforged. In the wood and metal, you can definitely tell it's been refurbished a couple times. Not quite enough on some of the metal to take out uh, some of the deep, deep sword or axe wounds or dents. So this thing has been around probably at least 50 years and fighting since before that. Is there, um, with them being warforged and them, like, gaining sentience, is there anything that, like, holds that, like, soul? Or is it just, like, the arcane magic combined with the clockwork a lot of the warforged are honestly still trying to figure that out uh mm-hmm. they they only just gained acknowledgement as a sentient race uh so i mean nobody really knows even they don't really know and uh the the only people that would know would be house Kaneth, and even then a lot of the people who created the warforged have died of old age or uh if they haven't they're probably taking those secrets to their grave if they know them the city guard uh, takes about 10 minutes to get there. They show up a bit late. The leader is a powerfully built dwarf with a close-cropped beard. Uh, he steps forward, and uh, as, as they all come over the bridge, kind of jogging in your direction, you can tell that uh, both of the other dwarves uh, have 
or sorry, not both of the other dwarves, both of the other watch, uh, the female is a dwarf and the male is a, is a human. Both of them have their short swords out and the leader dwarf levels his crossbow in your direction. Hands away from the body. Hands away, all of you step back. Of course. As he looks down at the body, he kind of sighs, and uh, you could tell that if he wasn't holding a crossbow, he'd probably be pinching the bridge of his nose between his fingers. <sighs> Drop your weapons, all of you. By order of the watch, explain yourself. Well, we, we just came across this body. <laughs> we it, were walking home from a party. Ah, I see. Well, uh... We, the, the, the Kanith shindig, right? Uh, yes, sir. But we were also attacked by bees. Uh, he looks down and, uh, he sighs heavily. Wonderful. Wonderful. A Warforged debacle. Just what I need in the middle of finding a bloody murder in the middle of a bridge. Uh, look, if I had a dollar... For every time I've heard the I was coming home from a party and found this body excuse, I'd be as rich as you look. Is there anybody that can confirm your alibi? Unfortunately, sir, it was just us. Honestly, I don't know why you would think we weren't telling the truth. We were attacked, and I saw one of these things jump off the bridge and then come attack us. So he jumped off the bridge and then came and attacked you. That's, that's what you're trying to tell me? And uh, at this point, the two humans have kind of been moving forward. Um, they've still got their, their short swords drawn, uh, and all of you are kind of still under crossbow point, so I'm guessing none of you are going to move to interfere. Uh, but the, the two human, or sorry, the human guard and the, the dwarf guard have moved forward and kind of started investigating the scene a little bit, kind of pushing things around. Uh, and the human man is going to uh, kind of lift up one of the arms of the smaller warforged, uh, the one that's hanging halfway off his body, and holler back at the watch leader or whoever he is. Hey, uh, Sarge, uh, you might you might want to come take a look at this. So the the sergeant, having decided, I guess, that you guys aren't an immediate threat, is going to lower his crossbow, sigh heavily, and walk forward, uh, and. The guy shows the uh, the sergeant the hand of the smaller warforged, and if any of you are standing nearby, which uh, you, Nico, probably actually would be, would be very close by, having been tampering with uh, with the body of the bigger one. Yeah, you look over and you can see that the guy is pointing at the hand, and you notice that the hand is actually uh, covered with a number of small spikes, kind of like soccer cleats. And then he points down at the elbow, and the elbow is the same. And then you, quickly looking over the body and realizing what's going on, notice that there are some uh, poking out of the bottom of his boots and from his knees as well. Uh, they're, they're basically pittens attached to his body. Uh, so he literally just kind of jumped, jumped down the side of the bridge and scurry climbed the underside until he got closer to you and could jump out and surprise you. So um, the Sarge is going to take a look at those. Well, the evidence seems to corroborate with your story. That's, things are a bit crazy around here lately. I'm, uh, I'm a bit on edge. I apologize. Uh, I, I can see you were only trying to help. It's not everybody that puts their life on the line to uh, solve an, what is this, an, an, an armed, armed robbery? Did you just find the guy dead? Did you see what they did? 
Um, Nico would very much like to roll an insight check on that uh, comment that he made that things have been really crazy lately. Okay, go ahead. Um, so he'll uh, he'll kind of turn to the sergeant and uh, say, "What do you mean things have been crazy lately?" And that is a twenty-two. Uh, holding the crossbow in one hand, he's going to do exactly what I mentioned earlier: pinch the bridge of his nose in between uh, his his thumb and forefinger. I I just I just mean they've been crazy, kid. Look, we've had uh, we've we've had a lot of robberies. Nothing nothing like this. I mean, nobody is nobody's been left for dead. Uh, look, I I don't want to frighten you off, but uh, a lot of uh, professors. A lot of professors and uh, and even even a guest a guest arcanist that was coming to speak at Morgrave University they they seem to be targets we've never we've never seen anything like it and uh, it's been happening more and more frequently things are apparently escalating. I have a question. It wouldn't happen to do with any with this at all. He holds the the journal out. We found this. I found this on the body. It reacts strangely with the ring, and perhaps maybe they were after this. Yeah, let me let me see that real quick. Interesting. Well, I don't recognize anything about it, but uh... and he kind of notices that the rain's bouncing off of it and shakes it around a little bit. It appears to have magic properties of some sort, so um. I guess we'll have to take this as evidence. I apologize. It's uh, it's gonna have to come back with us to the station. Any evidence we have, uh, we'll we'll take the body from here. But uh, I I would advise that you all go to wherever you were going. I'll I'll send these two to accompany you. But uh, I'll I'll reach out if I need anything more. <sighs> I appreciate your your service. It's, you know, better better to just call the watch next time. Don't don't risk your necks, but. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for making sure these these two didn't get loose on the streets. Yes. What does he do with it when Nero hands it off to him? Um, he uh, he pulls out a, a a pack that's been on his back, um, and he taps what looks like a, a little padlock on it, and the padlock pops open at his touch. Uh, he opens up the backpack and puts the puts the journal in there. Uh, he leaves it open and. Uh, as the other two guards kind of start walking towards you guys and gesturing towards the end of the bridge, uh, he kneels down. He grabs the. Did you still have the satchel? Did you have the satchel and the ring on your person, Torbjorn, or did you just take the ring? Uh, I just took the ring. Okay, and so he walks over and he kind of like picks up the satchel and slowly puts that in there. He picks up the, the axe and. Uh, kind of starts wiggling and seeing if he can get the any of the plates with the pittens on the hand loose. There's there's really no reason to think that he's not just collecting evidence. So uh do you all do you all kind of go on your way? Yeah, like got nothing else to do. Yeah, I think uh Arcturus and I would probably continue to the hotel hoping our sister is there. Okie dokie. How about uh, you, Nico? Nico yeah sergeant before he leaves and he wants to ask him, uh, what, what's going to become of the uh, the bodies of these warforged? Well, um, it's, it's always kind of funny dealing with warforged. 
it's strange. They're, they're, they're people, but they're not. I hate saying it that way. Uh, they'll probably be... Yeah, there's no light way to put this. We'll take them in as evidence, but uh, most likely we're not going to find much. Uh, we never do. And uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and give them a proper burial. Why, do you, why are you wondering? Uh, I, I would very much like to study them. I'm, I'm a student here at Morgrave, and they kind of have a lot of interest to me. Um, the first time I've been asked that before, uh, usually it's, usually it's living people and they want them for, uh, you know, cadavers. I, I suppose if you can get a, a letter of licensure from, from the university to be able to, to study the bodies, that's fine. The semester's barely started, so I don't know if you'll have that kind of rapport with, uh, any of your professors, but if, uh, if you can get a certificate of licensure from, from your professor, uh, uh, you know, member of a dragon-marked house or something. I, I, I suppose I could maybe hold one of the bodies aside. I can't really justify having two bodies lying around the station. Which which one would you like me to uh, hold for you? Uh, I, I think the uh, the smaller one would be very interesting to study. Uh, it's he... it's very agile and it doesn't seem like a straightforward warforged. Yeah, sh sure, sure. I'll, uh, I mean, I'm not going to make any promises. I'll, I'll have to talk to the chief, but, uh, if, uh, if you come on down to the station tomorrow with a, with a certificate of some sort, I'll, I'll see what I can do. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, of, of course, of course. You, uh, you stay safe out there, kid, okay? I will. So the two other guards kind of making sure you guys all stay in fair proximity to each other, walk you back to your respective places. Uh, the Golanodel elves, uh, your sister has not, as a matter of fact, returned to the hotel. But there is a uh, letter lying on one of the three enormous uh, goose-down beds that have been made for you, uh, stating that she uh, had to go take care of some business, uh, but that she would be back by tomorrow, and it looks like she wrote morning and then scratched it out and wrote afternoon, uh, and then she puts uh, what looks like a kiss on there. It's mostly just a dark red smear, uh, but it definitely looks like one of the lip stains she uses. You guess that either she's out partying and having a fling, or simply decided that uh, something was of her interest. She has been proven fairly capable of taking care of herself in the past, but also that was in Aranol, so... Not a whole lot you can do about it. The city of Sharn is a massive, sprawling metropolis. But I'm guessing you probably would not get a whole lot of sleep, Jimena. As much as my sister is, uh, aggravating. She is my sister. So no, I'm not getting much sleep. Alrighty. So, you guys all wake up, uh, whether from your, your dorms or your arranged inns, wherever it is, and each of you has a envelope sealed with the wax symbol of House Caneth. If you open it up, it says, if you would know the truth of Bonal Geldum's murder, go to the Broken Anvil Tavern at dawn.
Thank you for listening to Quarantine Quest, City of Towers. The cast of Quarantine Quest is Eric DeMaio, Chuck Welker, Aaron Deaton, Oren Brown, Kara Schmidt, and Mary Emmert. Dungeon Master is Dustin Sipes. Quarantine Quest is a production of Too Many Worlds Podcast Network. All audio editing and mastering performed by Dustin Sipes. Background ambience is from tabletopaudio.com. Original intro and outro music by J. Karsten Neal. And as always, may all of your adventures be epic and none of your treasure chests be mimics. <laughs>